0: Hello, Lot here. Just wanting you all to know that this episode has been previously recorded and posted. So I hope you enjoy it or
1: re enjoy it. Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Bran. <laughs> well,
0: there was a bear, bear a
1: Everyone, this is Guile. I tweet at Door Podcast, and tonight I'm joined by Devin.
2: Hi, this is Devin Gd Harper on Twitter.
1: I messed him up by going 1st and didn't I? <laughs> yeah, I was not ready. <laughs> um, and Chicky. Hey, I am Chicky. I am at
3: the Chikrin on Twitter.
4: And Kama. Hi, this is Kama, and you can find me at. Oh, hell. Oxford's place on Twitter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and for our Tex-Mex pleasure, our own spicy Texan, Eon.
0: Hey, this is Eon. I'm Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr.
1: So tonight we are, um, first of all, I'll give our standard trigger warning uh, for rape and spoiler warnings for rape and like trauma, I feel like. PT- rape and PTSD. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, this is a pretty, this is another rough one. And then spoil uh, spoiler warnings, obviously, for literally everything that's been written. And who knows, maybe things that have not been written yet as well. Um, wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so tonight we're, we are gathered here to discuss probably um, one of the most iconic chapters in the entire Song of Ice and Fire, um, not just Jamie and Brienne, and that is Jamie 5 from A Storm of Swords. And this is... Basically known as the um, the bath. The bath episode, the bath chapter. The bath and, house, baby. Yeah, the bath in the bath house. <laughs> oh. oh god. Not A with that intonation. In it's
4: bath. not known. <laughs>
1: Uh, I mean, Harrenhal's seen some things. I don't know about you guys, but opening this chapter up again, you know, probably for the—I don't even know how many times—it's like it's bur- the intro to the chapter is just burned into my memory. You know, Hall's bathhouse was a dim, steamy, low-ceilinged room filled with great stone tubs. Like, I can picture it, and it's not just the show. You know, like it's really for, you know, this particular setting is really ingrained in my memory. And I'm wondering if any of you kind of had that. It it felt like coming home weirdly enough. Like, that's what it felt like to read this chapter for me. Oh, yeah, because this is, I mean, like you
3: said, this is not just a big Jamie Brienne chapter. This is a huge chapter for the entire series. I mean, you're getting some deep backstory here. You're learning who Jamie really, really is. I mean, it's it's pretty pretty juicy shit.
1: And you know, there's also plenty of nudity as it starts right off with Jamie, um, Jamie undressing. And I, you know, I can't get like Nikolai's little low hip, low hanging on the hip rags out of my head when I read the chapter now. Damn him! Um, damn you, sexy Jamie! And <laughs> but you know, he he basically is starting out the chapter by getting taking his rotting maggot filled clothes off. But oddly enough, still hot. <laughs> the
3: worst. yeah still hot
1: yeah and you know he immediately within you know within like a paragraph of the chapter he's already referring to Brienne's you know pointy little buds that she's trying to cover up well, he and
3: he finally gets to see these boobs that he's been obsessed with for the last however many chapters
1: and it you know sounds like her hands are as big as, big as Gregor Clegane and her oh, boobs are as God. big as a ten year old's Jamie <laughs> But, you know, he still, like, multiple times is aware of them, so again, like...
3: That's the thing, though. He's been obsessed with her boobs this whole book. He finally gets to see them here. It's a dream come true.
1: Well, and then, you know, right away he's, you know, my Lady of Tart doesn't want the likes of you scum gaping at her teats as he's literally been gaping at her. He's doing that
4: himself, yep.
1: He's kind of, he's, I feel like he's projecting a little bit, more than a little bit here. Um... But, you know, he kind of uses his Lannister um, his Lannister privilege or his, you know, his position of power to clear the room of everyone. So it's just him and Brienne and he, he slides into the tub with her and, you know, he's in rough shape. You know, his eye one of his eyes is still almost swollen shut. He's been, you know, leeched he you know lost a hand he's got a fever you know and it said he says he felt 109 years old which was a great deal better than he had been feeling before they got to Heron Hall
4: can i can i just say i mean i don't i haven't dealt with amputation or infection or anything like that but i have been dealing with some chronic health stuff and it it just it's so debilitating, and to hear him say that, it was like, I felt this weird kinship that I don't think I've ever felt before. And I know that's a little strange for me to be sharing on the podcast, but I really feel like George did such a good job of just uh, sharing just how miserable he is right now.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. They're definitely a step up. They, they've kind of moved up in the world from their last chapter into a place of relative safety, but you know they are—they've they've gone through hell, you know. And you can just—you know—he kind of talks about how he can't even really wash himself, but you know he's—he's he's doing somewhat of a good job because the water is turning brown, and you just get the idea of like how disgusting, um, how absolutely disgusting they, you know, they were at this. They point. must be, yeah. This is one go. of. No, go ahead.
0: Oh, and Brienne, she's like scrubbing, super rigor rig- rig- rigorous I can't even say that word. <laughs> super, she's she's scrubbing too. I mean, so she's filthy as well.
1: And it, this is one of those chapters where, for me, there's a couple of scenes, and it, it pains me to do it that I I like what the show did a little bit better, um, or or You're just that or just that they. Um, <laughs> I guess maybe the visual, what they were able to accomplish in this particular scene with using the visuals, so, you know, where Brienne is shot into the light and looking, you know, angelic. And Jamie's kind of, you know, Jamie's very much in the dark. Like, to use that contrast, and I think when you read it, you, you get that, but to see them, like, get that part of it, I always liked. Like, I really liked that. Um, you know, the other thing is, you know, as we... As they continue to scrub um, Jamie, Jamie, you know, you can tell he's kind of feeling better because he's starting to egg Brianna on a bit. You know, he's, you know, no wonder Renly died with him, with you guarding him. And I feel
3: like he's pissed because she is yet again just like not trusting him at all. It's like every time he gets to a place where he's like, OK, we finally got a rapport, you know, like we're on, oh, yeah. we're on, we're on even ground She, like, mistrusts him again.
1: Well, and this kind of, I guess we see this again in the Oath Keeper scene, because when you think about it, I guess, you know, he starts in by going into her her tub, and she immediately takes it as an affront, where I honestly think he took it as, like, I, you know, you've been cleaning me and helping me, and, you know, I need you, and she took it, like, as a, a, like, as an assault, almost, and so I think that pisses him off, like, right away. Never well, but I, it, it, seven, it all,
3: but. it all, it all stems from the fact that she still doesn't trust him. Right.
1: Right. Right. and
3: i think that's what bothers him the most yeah i think she just takes it as not being able to trust what his motives are like why is he getting in here why did he clear the room you know
1: yeah that's yeah that's true like and you know we know though when she's thinking back she's you know she thinks of him as half a god half a corpse
3: well that's the so. thing because when you read her chapter what you recognize is that the minute he walks in this fucking room and takes his clothes off she's sprung as fuck for him yeah that's that's literally what she describes as him walking through the steam naked is his name day. And that's right off the bat in this scene. That's what she's thinking. So she is like, she's got the hots for him. Obviously that distresses her. So she really doesn't know what to do. She doesn't, she knows that he's never going to return this feeling. So of course she's going to be caustic and
1: when I think she try to thinks, keep her walls up. You know, I think she also thinks that he's kind of horrible too. <laughs> like she hates It's sort of like, she's in that place where cat was where she finds him attractive, but like hates herself for thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I
3: mean, like, when you get her backstory, you understand why she is never going to trust a man, you know, at all with anything sexual or romantic.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, you know, he doesn't, I mean, to his credit in this scene, like, I mean, yeah, he gets, you know, he gets the boner, which, again, they they absolutely 100% played on the show, even if they weren't overt about it. But, you know, she has no idea. So she has, you know, she has no idea of this effect. And he for all of like the sex jokes and like innuendo that he has used previously with her, you know he really until he finishes his story, he really doesn't go there, yeah, yeah, for once, you know if he's so i mean he is you know he's definitely trying to keep it clean if you if you will, um for lack of you know, pardon the pun, well, I mean, for as long as his you know penis goes along with that, yes. <laughs> So we um, we also get a dunk mention where Jamie um, Jamie accuses her of being thick as a castle wall. So <laughs> we always got to make a point to um, you know, it might be one of our earlier ones actually with Brienne. I I, I can't think of um, I can't think of another like super obvious dunk reference. Yeah, I think until this, this is point. the first one, really.
2: I think yeah. this is the first one. Yeah, I don't think yeah. there's another before.
1: And this was actually, I mean, I, when did the first Dunkin' Egg book come out? Was it before this one?
3: The first, the, first, the first one is out before, but I think the second one, the, the Soren Sword, the one that is, you know, yeah. Rohan and Dunk, that is really relevant to Jamie brand came out after Storm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, because the head, so headline was like 98, I think. Okay. So yeah. 99, yeah. somewhere yeah. in there.
1: Okay, and this was 2001, I think? So in any case, two thousand.
4: Yeah, so, so it's two Dunk years. has already he, been
1: conceived of it. Of yeah, by this yeah. point. Okay. So they kind of. I wonder which came first, Brienne or you, you know, I always thought, thought that. Dunk.
3: Uh, well, oh, I thought you were going to say Jamie and Brienne or Rohan
1: and Dunk. Um, oh, I think Jamie and Brienne came first.
3: I I mean, I think Brienne would have had to come first because he published Clash in 98 and he would have had to have been writing it. I mean, like I said, he's done with uh, Game of Thrones. So 96. So Brienne
1: first. It is interesting, though, when you think about that, he was, you know, we have to debate whether he was conceiving of Brienne first or Dunk first. And he probably was doing it somewhat concurrently, which it feels like that's kind of how he's often approached the overall series is to be. Working on things concurrently, so maybe you know his Targaryen obsession is a good sign. I I don't, you know, it's not. It's a sign. (laughs) sign I think we know it's not a good sign because
3: ever since he started this Targaryen world of ice and fire crap, he's gotten even slower. So no, it's not. Yeah,
1: yeah. I love
4: how definitive you are, Chicky. Nope. You're wrong about the show. No, nope, it's not a good. Sign.
1: <laughs> I don't know, what <laughs> but, else but to you'll note my that. complete, like, utter lack of reaction to it, though. So I feel like we've got a good thing going here. <laughs> you tell me I'm wrong. I'll just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> it works. It works for us. We've got a good dynamic. Um, so you know, Jamie's. Jamie's kind of you know he's, you can kind of. Matt, you kind of get that feeling, like okay, he's soaking in the tub, he's soaking in that heat. He's like letting down a bit, and you know, with it's not, but it's not like oh, the you know relaxation spa. It's the, um, you know, now my head is starting to spin and I'm really fucked up. Yeah, because where did
3: all the blood in his body go?
1: Yeah, this is true. (laughs) This is very true.
3: Um. And, I mean, you know you've
0: heard, like, the, you know, the a lot of people say that he just got, a, got an erection because he'd been away from Cersei for too long. That argument,
4: oh, God. That, that has never seemed to be how it, that works,
3: but. Well, that's what he says, but, I mean, the thing is. Yes, I'm sure. I don't know. We won't ask Devin and put him on the spot. I've heard that you know the way that the genitalia of this sort of person works—that it you know random things can happen. But the point is, George doesn't include a bunch of random boners all over the place. If George writes it in, it's there for a goddamn reason, and it's obviously there to show that he does feel some sexual well, attraction to Ben.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there's that story about how George met Paris, his yeah life partner.
1: Yeah, does anyone right. for our newer listen for our newer listeners? I don't know
3: this story, I don't think. Oh, so you don't have do, forgotten it. Oh my god. How do you not know it? How have I never I don't told you that? Know. <laughs> so George met his wife at a con and met her like in a sauna, in a steamy sauna. Oh wait, I did hear something about that.
1: Wow. And he was yeah. he was engaged to his first wife, I think. Or I don't know if they were ever married, but he was engaged they at did the time. Okay, he was yeah, with another... somebody else. And I think she was with someone else, and, you know, I think he makes this, you know, how he rose to attention. I mean, it's not as gross as that, but it's, like, along those lines where he's... No, I think he pretty much says that. Yeah. (laughs) Which, you know, George... (laughs) You know, I just... Yeah. So, you know, definitely, like, the setting, and there's some parallels in, you know, him obviously not having a successful first marriage. You know, kind of, it sounds like a pretty unsuccessful first marriage, And then, you know, this woman that came into his life, like, while he was still, you know, in in it with his first wife, you know, very much Jamie, Cersei, Brienne there.
3: And then later, when he's split from said person, then he gets together with his current wife.
1: Yeah. So, one of, in our subreddit, there was a really, you know, I had never really thought, I had never caught this before, but it's um, Wibori, I think, left us a a bunch of great um, comments and questions on these chapters, but... Um, This one struck me as something I had never noticed before. Um, They say, "Uh, this this particular parallel struck me this time. Brienne says that Robert did all he did for love. And I go, ah, because that's Jamie's catchphrase. And you know that if she can see love as a viable motivation, then she can understand Jamie too. Um, Yeah, I never, you know, I always... that that line struck me as more of, you know, Brienne's naivete and I never even caught I never caught that, like, oh, the things he does, you know, the things he does for love. Like, oh, yeah, that would be like a you know, pretty key phrase for her to say. Like, I don't know if you guys have, like, those you know, especially I think when you're younger sometimes you have, like, those magic words basically that, you know, someone someone says to you that you're like, oh, you're, you know, you're my soulmate type of type of thing and I think for him this is probably one of them. I mean, not necessarily in this context quite, but you know the fact that she gets that the fact that I think she grasps or at least she's accepting like honor as being subservient to love or she's oh. even like she's even like hinting at that is such a big thing for for someone like Jamie.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I think in this context, though, it almost pisses him off that she's that capable he, of giving Robert the right, benefit right, of the exactly, doubt that, that he, did Robert what he gets did for that. love.
1: Yeah, no, it's totally. But
3: he's not. She's not giving him the benefit of the doubt. Right. Um, I think that pisses him off yeah. in this context because, well, what happens? What is it? She, it? He starts telling her, or he starts saying something about Eris because he just always does because he knows Eris is the problem when people don't trust him and. Right. And he says that he wanted to kill Robert. Robert's the king he should have killed. And, and, and he, of course, that he, pisses he, Brienne off, and she says the thing she says. And then he gets pissed about what she says, as usual, with everything with yeah. them. It's just.
1: And they kind of, you know, this is sort of when Jamie starts, I mean, he's basically like babbling, you know, talking about. Um, you know, you know, so I soiled my white cloak. I wore my gold armor that day. and you know. Yeah,
3: but, like, you know, what? he what are says are this soiled about? the white cloak thing. He says the soiled white cloak because she is the one who said that to him. And he yeah. brings this up so many times in their conversation. I mean, not so many times, but I think this is probably the second time he brings it up. And he'll bring it up again in the Oathkeeper scene. She really got under his skin when she said that he soiled the white cloak. Because, of course, he threw back at her, you know, no, it was the white cloak that soiled me, not the other way around. And so he's he's actually bringing up their old fights here and how upset he is that she doesn't fucking trust him. And it's I mean like this is I think the thing that gets lost in this. I mean you know yes he's he's got a fever he's he's been sick he trusts her but it's like beyond that he knows exactly who he's talking to and he's not fighting against his reputation with anyone but with her. Like he he wants her to think better of him. It's not about anyone else in the world. It's just a hundred percent about him trying to win Brienne over to his side to like, believe in him and trust him. And I think, you know, that's, that's the thing that kind of, when we talk about this chapter, we don't maybe necessarily nail down is this entire conversation is just Jamie trying to get Brienne to believe in him. And so a lot of these offhanded comments are about her, just like the soil, of the white cloak, like he's talking about what she thinks of him.
1: Yeah. And I guess, you know, then the whole point of the story even though he doesn't really you know he doesn't the thing about Jamie is he never outwardly criticizes, he never really criticizes the other king's guard, but it it is to that like that it's gotta that's gotta just bother him so much that you know like Barristan Selmy's mere existence if I were Jamie would just like just enrage me on a daily basis but Jamie's able
3: to understand that people have to make difficult choices in life. I don't I don't know that Jamie does hate Barrison cuz he gets it, you know.
1: I don't get it. <laughs> how do you how is that the choice you make is to do, you know, like when faced with utter when faced with utter evil you comply, you know, you're you're the we were just given orders guard at the concentration camp. I mean, that's who he is.
0: Yeah, that's... I mean, well If memory serves me right, wasn't there, like, in a Catelyn chapter, he was talking about Rickard Stark and Brandon Stark. Yeah. And in that conversation, he pretty much says that the White Bull was a better man than him.
1: And he's, like, sarcastically, "Sarcastically, Yeah. Yeah, it was
0: sarcastic. I mean, there was sarcasm in it for just standing there and watching it happen.
1: Yeah, it's... Yeah, I, you know, one of the questions that we have, and maybe we can get into this before, Before, um, and this is a question that, I mean, honestly, I'm going to say, this is from Lilith Fiduzin, and I, I'm going to read your question, but I'm going to say that I so, like, disagree with the premise of your question, and it makes me kind of mad. Um, so... <laughs> but thank you for together. sending your question. Um you know, why did Jamie kill Ares? Ares was a pitiful wretch by the time Jamie reaches the throne room. Rossard, I understand, but Jamie could have easily beaten the mad king into unconsciousness. The keep was already overrun with his father's men and he knew it. The battle was as good as over. Had he had he handed over Ares to his father's men or even Eddard Stark to face justice, it would have been simple to justify his actions when they are confronted with the ramblings of the madman. No. Yeah, not, no, no, You, you have to
3: kill him. Right. All he has to do to. is find one servant who will find one of these idiot pyromancers and light the whole place up. He has to kill him. Yeah. Well, and and this, this whole argument, like, there are so many things you can criticize Jamie Lannister right. for that are so legit. And this argument that he shouldn't have killed Eris is literally the enra- stupidest one it,
1: I've ever heard. It enrages heard. me because, again, like, with perfect hindsight, we know that Ned Stark was coming into the throne room. Jamie doesn't know. Jamie doesn't know for sure that Tywin's not gonna come in with Viserys at his side and with well, a plan to prop Viserys on the throne and rule through him. Jamie doesn't I, know if like twenty men who are you know, twenty men who are remnants of the Targaryen army are gonna burst through the burst through there. Like there's no such thing as perfect information. you know, this is a war. I, there's no perfect information, there's nothing I don't know like that. It's it's, a, a,
4: a stupid and, and I don't want to criticize someone who sent us a comment, <laughs> but I mean I think I think what people would forget, like we know Eris is I mean, but look at all right, Jamie has I mean, literally, Eris Targaryen barbecued Ned's father and brother, right? He killed them. Yeah. And Ned still calls Jamie Kingslayer. I mean, you leave Eris alive politically. That's a whole other thing because there's a bunch of people who are going to be going. Oh, we can't kill him. We can't. I mean, it's it's. Uh, he's got to die. I, I don't oh, yeah. see
3: how there's the political you aspect as well. But for need- me, it's just the threat. Just the threat of the wildfire alone. Jamie wants to stop the wildfire threat. There is one surefire way to do that, and then yep. there's another possible maybe this will work way to do that the possible maybe way it'll work is try to keep aris alive the 100 sure way fucking kill the guy and so that's what jamie does i mean He's a flippin' knight. This is what they do. You see a threat, you kill it. I mean like that is honestly the universe that they live in. The only reason it's weird is because Jamie's Kingsguard. There's no other anyone else who knew about this threat would just kill Eris. It it's only weird that someone killed him because it was one up, of his Kingsguard.
1: It's only brought up because Jamie is the quote unquote bad guy, and then also there's all of the all of the Reddit and all the Reddit and Twitter nerds who think that Jamie is the popular boy that that bullied them in high school, and so they have they can't like wrap their head around him being anything other than like evil, you know. Because there's well, other comments, you know. There's other comments would basically say that oh, Jamie just Jamie just killed Ares because uh, you know. For Tywin, it wasn't, you know, or he did it out of revenge, out of, you know, revenge. And oh it's like, God. no, no, you know, are making did not shut up. Not. <laughs> Jamie knew he was going to have to do this. He talks
3: about as he's doing this confession, he's like, "No one remembers I was wearing my golden armor." Jamie knew that Eris was planning to blow up King's Landing, and Jamie knew he was probably going to have to do this. That's why he put on his golden armor. Right. He didn't wear his white Kingsguard armor. He even thinks he wishes he hadn't put on his white cloak because he's like. He clearly knew that it was probably going to come to this. He had already decided, okay, well, I'm not going to let this idiot blow this place up way before Eris says anything about Tywin's head or anything. The show did this thing where they framed it as though um, Eris asking for Tywin's head is a big, big factor in Jaime deciding to kill Eris. But that's not the case. Jaime's literally leading a fight against Tywin. He's actually fighting with his actual literal sword against Tywin's troops. Up into the point where he goes and kills Aerys. He is defending the Red Keep. He was trying to defend, you know, everything that he could after Aerys opened the gates of King's Landing to Tywin. Yeah,
1: and I mean, I the mean, other is that during all possible. of this, all of this that is happening, somehow people think that they have a that George has given us a clear enough timeline to understand that um, Jamie would have had time to kill Ares and then go and save Elia and the children, like no the, the children, and we know
3: from Jamie's dream. Jamie did not know what was happening to Elia and the kids. Like, there Never is, occurred to him that his dad was as right. bad as he was. Jamie was 17 fucking years old.
1: And yep. there is no clear timeline in the books. We are not given a clear timeline that these are not, like, simultaneously happening. They're probably simultaneously happening. <laughs> like, there's no... No, he's, I think he says that at this
3: time. Uh, Amory Lorch and the Mountain were scaling hold Holdfast, which is where Elia was. So right. it is pretty simultaneous. But he only knows that in retrospect, right?
1: And it's just, you know, it's just like this this urge to discredit him, and it's almost like again that the some of, some of the readers of the books have basically taken, they've taken like a side. They're, they're basically Ned Stark essentially. Like they are, they've taken a aside and refuse to accept what the writer is is writing. Yeah. But from well, like the f- I mean, like, from three chapters in the book. Like that's, the third chapter in or the fourth chapter in, like, they've accepted absolutely nothing past that for this one particular character, which is just such an asinine way to read that I'm yeah, but utterly I mean, baffled by it. When you
4: do literary criticism, I mean you you do I mean, you don't always take – I mean, you can have an author telling you one thing up and down, but there's textual evidence or there's a. to But read. you should
1: take the very first chapter the author writes about a character and then accept that, but accept none of the subsequent, like, 25 chapters the author writes. No, but I, I, think I mean, that's I'm just that's saying what people that are doing. It's, it's accepted to – I mean – well, there's I mean, st- no, this this is not accepted. This is just people being stupid <laughs> and stubborn. Well, I, I <laughs> hear what Kam is saying because
3: if you've read any literary criticism, I mean, like I academic mean, literary criticism, a lot of it's absolute nonsense and you can hang it on almost anything. I'll be really But I mean, with you.
4: sometimes there are, I think, okay, I'm going to go back to that genealogy show where George found out everything he thought about his family was like based on a lie. But I mean, you see influences. You can see influences in something someone has read or written. I mean that they may not be conscious of, if, if that makes sense. I mean, I don't think you can just go by the author said this, so oh, it is. No, I so- agree.
3: I agree. I agree that the author is dead and everything. But what I'm saying is, you can hang literary criticism on almost nothing, and a lot of the times, literary criticism cherry-pick certain things that it wants to use and not other things. I mean, we're all guilty of it when we do it. But, I, you know, it's not... I don't know, this Jamie Blannister
1: haters Hatering are particularly... I'm
3: use. just saying, you know, it's not necessarily... You can argue almost anything because you can ignore almost anything. With well, you can, can argue case. almost
1: anything, but it still makes you wrong. <laughs> <So>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> People, um, I, they don't allow themselves to go on the journey with Jamie as they do with every other character. Like, that's a good way of like, putting it. He's just what we get from him. Kingslayer pushes Brand out of the uh, tower, like, and that's it. And people just don't—they don't allow themselves to watch the character grow, change, and learn more about him as we go. It's whatever they have from those first, like you said, three, four chapters, is it, and that's—I uh, mean—it's really unfair to the character as a as a reader to read the character like that.
1: Yeah, and I think it's, a lot of it is jealous. I mean, honestly, I think a lot of it is jealousy. No, I, I think do
3: it is. do have our personal opinions about what may be behind it, don't we go?
1: Well, I mean, I
3: Oh, I know. I think it too.
1: Yeah, it's jealousy big time. <laughs> it, you, it's, yeah, it's yeah, it's the John Hughes yeah. heroes versus the John Hughes villains, but like, Jamie is not a John Hughes villain. He is you know, he's like character on the sidelines frankly he's the guy like pants in the villain
4: um There's a whole bunch of people who have no idea who john
3: hughes is i'm just <laughs> done.
1: okay it's educational kids yeah but honestly like have you guys ever watched pretty in pink like in the last 10 years because it's like fucking horrific it is the oh most, yeah no it's it totally like the is. most problematic movie
3: problematic <laughs> Oh God! Never watch it. Yeah, never if, watch if it. If
4: you're again, a youngin who doesn't watch older films, John Hughes was a, a popular director of a bunch of like what adolescent kind Teen of rom com kind of things. Yeah. yeah,
1: Breakfast Club. Yeah, Uh, sixteen or Sixteen Candles, not Pretty in Pink. Sixteen Candles well, is the super problematic one. Sorry, Pretty in Pink. I, I feel like you're no, so
3: they're all super problematic. Yeah,
1: I mean, Sixteen Candles is the one with like the. You know, massive date rape played for you know a large plot point and laughs. Um, and the racism, my yeah, god, super racist. Yeah, uh, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> um, so you know, Jamie's Jamie's describing all of all of this to Brienne. Um, you know how how he ha- sent a messenger to Ares basically asking to be able to make terms with the forces coming in. And um, his messenger came back and said that he was, that Ares was, was with Rossert. And, you know, that's the kind of the, um, the main, his hand of the king who is also a pyromancer and kind of sounds like, you know, super fucking crazy as well. And, you know, that that's the sign. That's the sign Jamie needs. And, like, when as soon as he hears that, he knows that, you know, it's... It's gonna happen. And well, that's when you know he's gotta die. Right. You know. And you know, Rossard is dressed up as a common man at arms when Jamie kills him, so I mean they're being shady as shit about it too. And, you know, they're trying to they're basically trying to hide it. Um and he talks about he hunted down the other pyromancers in the days that followed Ares' death. As well. Um, you know, of course he didn't again, you know, the Jamie's big sin. He did not inform oh the God. Westeros EPA. I love that this is just wildfire. all
3: straw man arguments about the things that people criticize Jamie for. But again, yes, people complain that he never told anyone about this wildfire because they're like, Oh, this wildfire could go off. Why didn't he tell people so blah, blah, blah? Okay, the very simple and clear explanation is Jamie didn't trust anyone to have control of this wildfire. He didn't just not tell Ned and Robert. He didn't tell Tywin. He didn't even tell Cersei. He never told Tyrion. He doesn't tell anyone because he doesn't trust anyone with the knowledge that this wildfire exists. Jaime does not know that it gets more volatile as it ages, obviously. um, And it could eventually be a problem because now we know that they tell Tyrion that in Clash of Kings, the pyromancers do. But... You know, Jamie didn't realize that clearly when he didn't tell anyone about it. But he didn't tell anyone. He didn't. He didn't give it to his father. Didn't give it to his sister. He didn't give it to anybody. Clearly, he's trying to protect everybody by not letting anyone
2: know about it. Because just one person knows, the city is immediately at risk. Right. Right. (laughs) It just it doesn't make any sense to tell anybody. And this also goes to we were talking about him like basically burying his soul to Brienne. Like he's never told anybody this. And now the one person he's telling because again he wants Brienne to trust him and trust in him.
1: Well, and also I mean, good, frankly, good to that. I think he can yeah. unburden himself to her because, you know, is Brienne going to ever do anything about with this, do anything with this? Like, is there any circumstance it's by so which he... Brienne is going to set King's Landing? But on that's the fire? key. He's
3: finally found someone that he can absolutely, without absolutely. question, yeah. trust with this yeah. knowledge. I mean. He says, I'm fevered, and like in Feast at one point when he's in another bath and thinking about his boner, he does think, oh, I did say some things I wish I hadn't said. But he doesn't, other than that, he never sits around going, oh, I should never have trusted Brienne with this secret. Like, no, he knows she's 100% trustworthy. He knows this is the person that he can trust with this. And I mean, obviously, there are like several levels and layers to the fact that she's that person for him, but... He knows he can trust her. like he And he has never had this before. And unlike that stupid show that acted like he told Tyrion and just everyone after the bathhouse scene, you know, like he doesn't ever tell anyone else in the books. Maybe well, I mean, he eventually will. I don't know.
1: I mean, he 100% should not tell Tyrion because I'm going to tell you one person who would yeah. set King's Landing on fire. Yeah. It's Tyrion.
2: Tyrion. Who is
1: the guy that does it. Right. <laughs> So, I mean, and that's something, you know, it's interesting. It's sort of like something Jamie probably should have thought of, you know, and he starts this with, you know, is thinking about his, you know, his brother using, you know, using wildfire. He thinks about that, but he, yeah. you know, he doesn't take that extra step of like, oh, thank God I didn't, you know, I didn't tell him. I, you know, like, what would he have, you know, would he have planned something for, you know, what, when Stannis came through the gates, you know, and, yeah, he he made some good. He made a good decision there. I feel like. I think I think he has made absolutely the best possible decisions
3: regarding everything to do with Eris and the wildfire. I just don't. I don't know what other decision could have been better than the decisions that he made. And the proof is in the pudding. Like, no one's been blown up for fifteen years, and you know there were no problems.
1: I feel like yeah, this it is one, like uh, the uh, you know hey, Bush and Obama, there are no more terrorist attacks in the U.S. Like, <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, when when there's going to be criticism against Jamie, it doesn't need to come. That It doesn't need to be anything that has to do with Ares and the wildfire, because that. what else he, could he have done?
4: He's made some very questionable life decisions, but I don't feel that's one of them.
1: No, this is, and, yeah, this is I not mean, one of them. Honestly, let's be real. I don't think that there's that many fucking decisions to criticize Jamie about after his first appearance in the books, like, go through, you know, go through Feast and tell me what you think he should do differently. I'm, I'm
4: not, I'm not talking about, I mean, like, up until, I mean... Up until the point of a Game of Thrones, I'm just saying he has made some questionable life decisions. Oh, yeah. Very questionable. I don't I mean think he's
1: made one. Gonna... He's made like one really big questionable life decision. That yeah, is, you know, I
4: mean I, I don't feel,
2: everything else. Yeah,
4: I don't think he can be faulted for what he did with Ares. I I just no, agreed. Yeah.
1: Um. So with this, the Jaime Lannister defense uh, society moves out <laughs> Um. So. You know Jamie continues telling telling Brienne the story of um, the story of killing Ares and you know we get another the wench looked ridiculous clutching her towel to her meager tits with her thick white legs sticking out beneath um, we had another comment from Weebury who had um, you know according to Jamie Brienne is thick you know. T-H-I-C-C, her thick muscular chest, the thick white column of her neck, the muscles in her great shoulders hunched and hard, thick blonde bush, her thick white legs.
0: (laughs) Yeah, water pulling down her legs. He's just checking everything out on Brianne. He's just,
1: I mean, and (laughs) he's not particularly overly physical in his descriptions of other people. Like, he tends to key in more on like their tone or their their um their aura not aura that's not what I mean, but less about like the obvious physical, but with Brian, it's like one hundred percent
3: oh yeah. it's just constant, it's that, constantly yeah. about how what he's observing with her physically, and of course now that she's naked, he's really zeroing in,
1: yeah, so you know she asks me why you know if this is true, why doesn't anyone else know, and he tells her. You know, the knights of the Kingsguard are sworn to keep the king's secret. Would you have me break my oath? And you can just hear, like, the sarcasm in his voice there. Um,
4: Yeah.
1: You know, he thinks, Ned only had to look at me to judge me guilty. And then we get the, by what right does the wolf judge the lion? Um, And he, he tries to get out of the tub, and he smashes his stump against the rim and passes out. And... Brienne catches him, and he has, like, the famous um, thought that she's, you know, she's gentler than Cersei. And she, you know, she yells for the guards to, to help the Kingslayer, and he thinks, Jamie, my name is Jamie. And just, yeah. again, that whole, you know, Brienne is, one of the things I think in the last chapter, one of my favorite lines is the line about, you know, Jamie, you know, when he thinks, you know, Brienne's walls are so thick. And you know, but Jamie's walls were gone, and you know, that kind of continues here. Like he is physically and emotionally continues continues to be really exposed to her, and she, you know, despite what she what we know that she's feeling inside, or you know the, her reactions to him, he, you know, she still uses like Kingslayer. She's still not, you know, she still has quite a bit of quite a barrier up for him even after this
3: um but well, i you know, mean you can kind of imagine how she like we we're talking about like she was feeling <laughs> sexually aroused by him like you can yeah. imagine she would be trying to keep barriers between him and her that you know to kind of keep herself safe not mm. just physically but emotionally right. and things oh, right. like calling him Kingslayer. I mean- she knows that's guaranteed to do that
1: Well, and I mean, I don't think, you know, I don't think she's in any, I don't think she's worried about anything physically with him right now. Because, I mean, he even has this thought in here, in this chapter, which I love, where, you know, oh, you know, he thinks to himself that he better listen to her because he can't, you know, she would beat the shit out of him, basically. Like, he's, like, afraid, like, a little physically afraid of her.
3: Yeah, I don't mean she's...
1: I don't right. mean that she's no, physically. No, I mean, it's, I, when it's I say physically,
3: I mean sexually. I mean, yeah. like, she's clearly feeling some shit she hasn't really felt before, and clearly she's going through some stuff here, you know? I mean, like, but I, it's mostly emotionally, but also the physically is just, like, clearly she feels sexually attracted to this idiot.
1: And, you know, when Jamie comes comes to, you know, Brand's naked, you know, but she seems to have, you know, forgotten about that as, like, kyburn and the guards and and her are all looking over him but guess who notices what was that but guess who notices that she's naked right and i mean but guess who doesn't notice that she's naked i mean imagine for brienne to be in front of these guards and kyburn and naked like she is like jamie living but of course jamie barely alive notices she's naked yeah but i mean i feel like that's a big deal i mean
3: Yeah, that is a big deal for Bree, and she's totally zoned out.
0: She's wanting to take care of him.
1: Right, to the point where she's not even, like, I can't say that there's, I can't say that there's anyone in the world that I would be, like, like, (laughs) taking care of in front of other people and not, like, noticing I was naked. Like, I'm pretty sure (laughs) I'm going to be, like, clutching a towel or something. Like, that's some, that's some, uh. That's some dedication there, Brienne. (laughs) I'd be all over that towel. (laughs) I
3: love that now she has to, like, clean him up. She's got to, like, scrub him, get him dressed, do everything for him again.
1: You know, you kind of, like, he's super weak, but he's also, like, he's kind of got his mojo back in the second half of this chapter, you know? Because we get the... Kyburn asking, you know, there's still poison in his blood and he's malnourished. What have you been feeding him? And Jamie says, Worms and piss and gray vomit and the guard the guard's like, Heartbread and water and eat and oat porridge <laughs> You know, he's really he's barely you know, he can he has to like sit there for like a half an hour or more, it sounds like before he can really after she dresses and scrubs him down and stuff, he can't he can't leave, like, he's that weak that he really, you know, yeah. I mean, he is yeah. in bad shape he's in here. Bad shape. But, yeah, he definitely, um, you know, he definitely feels a little bit better. You know, one of the, we, we got, we got some comments, too, about, you know, the imagery of, of him being reborn, um, you know, with them naked, and you know, Jamie, you know, it is kind of Jamie's re- Birth in a way, although some, you know, I think I first when I first read the chapters, I, I did think of that, but now I, I guess I'm in the camp that I was sort of like, you know, I'm in the Jamie was always awesome camp, but did he need to be reborn? You know, which is I know not yeah, exactly so. like right, but I think of it as
3: like a, it's like a baptism, it's like a rededication. Yeah. I think that's what George is going for with the the water.
1: He's the like cleansing
3: a, motifs here
1: the born again christian
3: <laughs> like the- <laughs> oh, i mean something like that yeah i mean although george's that's background is kind Catholic, of not evangelical but yeah yeah well i mean but that's kind of that's not an
4: unusual trope that's in a lot of <laughs> oh yeah I, I think that's fairly standard the idea of water and cleansing and all that yeah i
3: well, and there's so much significance to the fact that this is Heron Hall. This is where he was made a member of the Kingsguard. You know, there's there's a big kind of um, circular thing that's happening in his life, the fact that he's back at Hall, yeah. So it would make sense that if this is where everything started to go wrong for his life, which is where he joined the Kingsguard, that if he's going to have rebirth and he's here, you know, it's obviously going to be here. George is going to throw him in the water. You're going to have the, you know, birth motif and the whole, you know, baptism motif. I mean... It's it's clearly a, and the cleansing concept. I mean, that's clearly what George is doing. I mean, it's a whole deal. And then later when he leaves, you know, whereas the first time he thought it meant that he would get to be with Cersei, you know, he's going to try to leave again and think he's going to be with Cersei and then come back. So there's a whole cyclical thing happening.
1: And one of the comments on Reddit talks too about you know how he's dressed. He's dressed very you know traditionally nightly, His what black woolen and breeches and a the- loose tunic and leather jerk and like he's dressed like you're know, like a young knight again kind of and you know Brienne is dressed as you know as a lady, although, you know, <laughs> not not the in the best of oh, goddamn best pink dress. Yeah. Jesus. I, has
4: anyone ever wondered who the hell was wearing I mean, it sounds like I mean, she's a woman of size. I mean, like, she's tall. And I, I just got to wonder
3: who was the previous occupant. Well, that they say that it's made, it was made for a much shorter woman with a much bigger bosom, well, I think. Yeah. Is how, at least that's how so Julie So they just found it. something and just put her in there. So it oh, had to be Kyburn pretty short. Oh, says something about it was all they could find. Qyburn says it's the only yeah. women's clothing that they could find that would so fit so her. Because, of course, they're huge jackasses huge... and won't give her the men's clothing she'd prefer. Yeah,
1: And so it was probably pretty short. Like, it was probably like a mini dress on her. Yeah, you, know, you did not really think Probably. of it that way, but it might Get you know. a little leg. Yeah. Go Brand. Um I thought this this was another thing that struck me this time was Jamie thinks uh, a dozen cruel japes leaped into his head, but for once he kept them there. Best not to make her angry. He was no match for her one handed. Um you know, gee, like what a what a mirroring of a phrase that we'll hear again very soon, you know? Um He's always, you know, he's at this point now where he, he's co- sort of biting his tongue where she's concerned, and he's, you know, yeah. this this time he has to justify it with like, oh, she, you know, she could beat me up, and you know, he, he starts to not have justifications after this. Kaiburn um, brings him a potion, and you know, Brienne's just like drink it, and you know, he does. Like she's definitely, um, he's in, she's in charge of him basically at this point. You know, at this point in the in the chapter and you know they well, because this is these are the roles they've been playing when they're yeah. on the road like
3: she's been taking care of him like right. you can just infer it she oh, yeah. has been taking care of this idiot this whole time
1: and you know they have to walk to dinner with Bruce Bolton and you know she he Jamie asked to take her you know give me to give her her give him her arm and you know that's kind of how they that's how they walk to um you know they walk to dinner like that which is just You know, really kind of just bizarre when you think about it. Um, Well, it's a good gender bend for
3: them, as usual. He's he's holding her arm.
1: And so they they have this fairly convoluted discussion with Roose Bolton. And this was kind of the other scene that I... It's a little complex, and I almost feel like the show... I sort of liked what the show did better to just, like, make it a little bit more overt and just less... Well, this is, you know the whole thing like well Holt cut off his hand I mean I hate that they made like Locke cut off his hand as some like classist statement. Like that really irritates the hell out of me. But I I do think like this whole explanation in the book of Holt doing it so that Roos couldn't trade Jamie to the Lannisters and instead they'd have to let Holt take Jamie to Karstark. You know, it's like oh this is like dizzy you know, there's like a lot. it's kind of a dizzying discussion
4: there's a lot going on some of which i definitely did not get the first time i read it um all the red wedding stuff is all over that
3: well yeah the red the red wedding is just all over like the writing the is on the wall. wall here
4: do you feel but like i mean there's Bruce... a bunch of little things that i think are layered in there i, I, I mean i get what you're saying i think I think in terms of economy, I think I, – I, I see what you're saying about the show maybe here. But I do kind of love
3: this. I mean, yeah, I love it too. Well, and this is the other thing, and this is what we kind of lose when we do these single character reads is – even though George does his POV structure the way that he does and sticks a very close third person POV with each of his his characters, he's telling an overall story, at least through the first three books he is. Each book is its own, you know, it's a, it's a it's an, it's an there's an overall narrative, there's a story. And at this moment, you know, Jamie of course is serving his own story and Brienne's story, but he's also serving the larger story. I mean, his chapter is serving the larger story here. Because you're hearing a lot of very rich and fascinating information about oh, yeah. what's going on overall I mean, in the book here. Yeah. Um, that, of course, in the show is flattened to only what's really relevant for Jamie and Brienne and maybe a mild hint about the Red Wedding. Whereas, you know, and I, I'm I'm one of those people. I didn't catch that the Red Wedding was actually happening the first time around. I mean, you should be able to see it. But, I mean, I didn't see it either. I mean, it's – it's but it's here. It's very well, clearly and here. And do you
1: guys think that Roos had already – made his decision here or is he still in a point where he's hedging?
3: I think no, he'd made his decision. It was the phrase I think who had been not on board. Okay.
4: I've always maintained that he's one of those guys who's got 15 different ways out of something. But I think at this point, yeah, I think he's, he's made, he he knows what he's going to do.
3: I think the Um, best theories are that he made a deal with Tywin when he fought Tywin. Okay. Where was that? The Golden Tooth? Is that where they fought? Is that where is that where Tywin and and Roose? I can't remember.
1: Wasn't it like not like around, Um, I don't know the Golden Tooth because that's like in the Westerlands. Was Roos there when Rob and Jane were married? I mean,
3: he might. No, 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 no. He wasn't. He he talks about it here because
4: because he, Rob goes off on his own, and that's good. Yeah. And and then I
3: mean, Roos is but, the one pointing out. It's I'm funny because sure it's it during Jamie... Clash. It's yeah, during Clash that Roos and Tywin have their have their. Their battle. battle. They do it through
4: emissaries or directly or whatever. I don't know.
3: So well, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the logistics are, but I think I've seen a lot of theories that are like clearly Roos starts, you know, making negotiations basically with Tywin at that point. Whenever I, yeah, battle
4: I think was. all along Roose is out to get what's... I mean, if it. If it goes along with you know the greater good, great. But he's out
3: for yeah. Him. But I yeah, he he was basically just kind of getting a, a a backup plan going with Tywin, and you can see it because he does some things where he kind of throws a bunch of Northern ba- Bannermen like you know um, yeah, uh, exactly. in, yeah. In, in, into harm's way. Well before he gets to this point. Yeah. Where's never- the phrase? Yeah, he he doesn't bring the phrase on board clearly until Rob, you know, basically betrays them by marrying so Jane Westerling
4: something I clocked that I did want to mention because I never noticed it before but like um when they're talking about I mean we're talking you know we were just talking about Jamie being a teenager when all this stuff goes down and I mean I think Bruce because they're talking about um Rob having gone off and married Jane Westerling and, you know, Brienne, I think, is the one who's like, well, no, he shouldn't. He wouldn't have done that. You know, he made this oath. And he's like, you know, Rob is what, 17 years old, 15 years old. Rob is going to do what a teenager. 16, yeah. Is. You know, it's. I if we're not going to. I mean, I think it's a nice little echo. You know, it's like Jamie a is a teenager and maybe not all of his decisions were great. And well, you know what? That's what teenagers do.
1: I think another, you know, I'm going to go into another Defend Jamie topic here, but I think from Jamie's perspective, there's, no, like, one of the criticism, one of the, you know, other of many criticisms of Jamie is that he is somehow complicit in the Red Wedding because he knew about it, which... Oh, I don't think so. No, God. and I mean, you know, he even asks when he finds out about, you know, oh, Edmure Tully's, get, Tully's getting married? Like, he's really confused, and he... He literally asks Roos, like, Well what does you know Walder think of, you know, getting trout instead of wolf? And, you know Roos is like, Oh, he's you know, he's fine with it. Like you know, well, it's he's, clear he's from wanted the- River Run for, you know, like
3: There's stuff in both his seventh and eighth chapters that make it clear he did not right. know what was gonna happen at the Red Wedding. Does he know that Roos is betraying Rob? Yes, yeah. he oh, does yeah. know that.
1: Right, but not but
3: he has no idea what the logistics right. are.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean I mean, it's it's pretty, you know, it's like obviously clear, and it's just another, you know, another smear on on Jamie. So I <laughs> just want to point out, like, if I'm going to defend him, I'm going all in. Um, so, you know, they're they're basically trying, you know. Just, there, Bruce is kind of giving them the options of what he of what he's going to do with Jamie, and he basically tells Jamie, you know, I'm going to let you, I'm going to send you back to your father, but you're, you know, you have to basically say I had nothing to do with this. Like, you can't break this alliance that I'm building with your father. Nothing you
3: know. to do with his hand getting chopped
1: yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing yeah. to do with it wasn't that. Wasn't Yeah, and you know, Jamie's like, I will basically say I will say whatever you want, <laughs> like, because I mean, the other options are essentially giving him, you know, letting him Vargo Holt keep him and, you know, cut off his head and give him to the, to give to the car Starks or, um, you know, go back to Rob Stark, which, I mean, I feel like, you know, he's, like there's some safety to go back to Rob, but I mean, that was like the one thing Roos is not going to do. So, um, you know, I love chooses, it. How Jamie's just like, why, if you'll send me, if you'll send me back to Cersei, I'll I'll say anything
3: you want me yeah, to say.
1: Right. Exactly um you know well, and, brienne- and jamie sees through
3: so much of this i mean he clearly yeah. understands oh ruse is flipping you know right. Bruce wants yeah. to switch sides jamie understands this jamie just kind yeah. of understands a lot of this i mean he's not really a political creature but he can understand what's going on with the politics and he understands all of this pretty quickly
1: um you know brienne of course doesn't really understand what's going on and you know she's you know she's really up. She's really upset that this is that this is happening. You know, like there's not going to be a, you know, there's not going to be an exchange. They're not just gonna. He's not just gonna let them go for cat's da- You know, for for cat's daughters. And Jamie has this like he has a good Jamie line. You know, if Bolton meant to kill us, he wouldn't be wasting his precious prunes on us at such peril to his bowels. <laughs> like I, just, I love that fucker. Um, <laughs> uh, you know and. Roose tells her, "Oh, you know, nope. I, you know, it will ease your mind if I if I tell you, you know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna send Sir Jamie on." And you know, she's like, "Oh, this is, you know, this is great. This sounds awesome." And you know, sadly, she finds out. Not so much. Yeah, not so much. You know, because he, you know, she's, you know, like, oh, you know. We'll take Walt Steelshank's protect, protection, but, you know, I have to have charge of, of the girls. And that's when Roose, you know, kind of drops this little bombshell that um, Sansa's married to Tyrion. And, you know, oh. Jaime's Jamie's first reaction is, you know, oh, you know, that'll put a smile on, on Tyrion's face. He hasn't really, you know, been, he remembers oh, 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 how so happy he was with Tysha. And, you know, just like that little, that little foreshadowing of something that, you know, We don't really know anything about, you know, we don't really know the whole. Yeah, that's another little foreshadowing
3: there. The fact that Jamie um, refers to Tysha in his own head as the Crofter's daughter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
3: Which contradicts what you think is true with Tysha. Yeah. That is a little hint.
4: And. Yeah, you're right. I didn't even, I don't think I caught that.
3: There's and, a know, lot here. Like, we didn't even talk about it. There's, there's, you know, you can clearly see that, that Roos is setting up the whole Jane Poole thing to, you know, fake yeah. oh, yeah. Arya. He, he, yeah, he
1: tells her that they have Arya. Um, and, you know, they have Arya. It's fine. But, or, you know, basically it's fine. um, Or that she's alive, you know, which he could know. But there's nothing in the text to tell us that he does know that he basically had Arya. Um, oh, I
4: don't think he ever knew. Yeah.
1: know which is which is well
4: yeah and i mean that was always like when yeah i I don't want to get too into it it was always like um when people object to how tywin would have to know i'm like well if you know if anyone's gonna know it's gonna be roost but but yeah when you read this it's like oh okay all of this he's got all of these little ducks in a row here he's got his wife he's got i mean he's made all of these arrangements he's gonna get randy you know uh, Ramsey, Ramsey. Um, why can't I say it's stupid? Good. Legi- I mean, it's all
1: planned out.
4: And the only yeah. thing is,
1: like, the whole Ramsey part of it is just so stupid. I mean, like, eliminate. Like, there, it never made sense to me that Roose was just like allowing Ramsey to live. Like, should have killed him. You know, his kids with with Walda could have.
4: Yeah, but I mean. He's the first one. I mean, he actually, I think, says this to somebody. I think he says it to Theon. Like, you know, boy lords are the bane of... I mean, he doesn't... Mm-hmm. He's just gotten married well, to Walde. not
1: like a boy Baldi. lord or a, you know, a homicidal maniac? I think lord.
3: he's <laughs> too much of a pragmatist to think that to he needs just, to get rid of Ramsey is what it is. Yeah. He's like, well, this one's alive. And clearly he's tough. I'll and just later him on, I
4: can get rid of him. And, I mean... I mean, Roose has had... how many, I mean, his... Bethany had all those, I mean, her kids all, her sons all died as infants. I mean, he does not, it's not like he's got somebody already, you know, precarious
3: yeah. times.
4: This well,
1: is he, how he's even, he even knows that ahead. Ramsey,
3: he even thinks about the fact that Ramsey will kill Waldo's kids. Right. So
1: it's just like, like oh, it's right. Well. I mean,
3: I think he's thinking he's like, climatic.
4: he's thinking about the immediate situation. He's not thinking, I'm assuming like it's a, a short term solution in his head.
1: I mean, if nothing else, he should have, you know, if he actually, if he really would have had Arya, he would have patrolled her to uh, Little Walder because Little Walder is Walder's Walda's full brother. And Yeah, but. And I mean, like held got, Winterfell that way.
4: And, Winterfell, and he's got to do that yeah. right away because, you know, he's got to know there are a whole bunch of other northern lords who are all going to be like, hey, you know, this could be mine and. I think it's a short term stabilization thing. I don't think it's, he's thinking long term that this is going to be the way it's going to, you know, go down.
1: So, we, so Roost reveals to Brienne that, you know, while he's sending Jamie on, he can't deprive Bargo Hote of both of his prizes and that she will be staying at Heron Hall. And the chapter ends with the fairly ominous, uh, were, I, were I you, my lady? I should worry less about Starks and rather more about Sapphires, which is like a, a truly kind of terrifying end to a chapter if there ever was one. Like, it's not the yeah. fake out, you are you know, they got killed. It's like the, ooh, something really, really terrible is going to happen to her. So any, um, any further comments on, this, on the chapter before we go to some mail? No. Eon, <laughs> yeah. Devin... Comma.
2: Um, and Jamie Lannister never did anything wrong in
1: his life. <laughs> right? I mean, basically. I know this,
3: and I love him.
1: Kama, <laughs> <laughs> do, uh, do we have any mail? We have quite a
4: bit. Um, I'm going to just, some of these I'm going to truncate a little bit, and apologies. Um, thank you so much for sending them. Um, we did have a couple more questions from uh, Webbery, um, one in particular, um, I think is a simple one, or actually, no, uh, not, never mind that, uh, this line from Jamie has always struck me. He won the war on the battlefield and lost it in a bedchamber for a fool. Do you think this can be a bit of foreshadowing, shadowing about Jamie and his battles?
1: I mean, it'd be I'd be fine opposite. with it. <laughs> I feel like he would have won, it, you know. He'll win it in the bed chamber. I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like it has nothing to do with Jamie, to be honest.
4: All right, and we got another one from, or a question from, um, or a comment, I should say, from No More Mister Bondi. Uh, no question, because I'm only fifty percent through A Clash of Kings, but I wanted to say thank you for your great podcast, which makes me feel like I'm listening to Friends. I love listening to your descriptions of the wonderful writing to come, and I love hearing you slag off the clusterfuck show ending that sent me to the books in the first place. I just started DrunkCast this morning, and I only just realized you're not all in the same room. Duh. (laughs) Yeah, we we don't, unfortunately, get to... um, (laughs) We don't live (laughs) we very very rarely in the same (laughs) plans, but
0: we are scattered to the four winds there. Oh, I was about to say, but we, we could be in the same room.
2: It we might talked happen. about it. Would yeah, drunk we... cast even work? <laughs> <laughs> I
1: think it would just <laughs> dissolve into like with you
2: know, everyone the guests
3: <laughs> just be giggling on the floor.
4: Um. Okay, sorry. I'm like. Oh, um, this is a Tumblr, Anon, and someone else is going to have to answer this one, but it's, Hi, can you guys do a recap of what Nikolai costa um body double is saying on Reddit? Anyone want to tackle that
3: one? Oh my god, this is so many headlines ago, I don't even remember what happened.
1: What, what did he say? I mean, he basically said that they cut a scene that was in, they cut a scene between the banquet and the scene in Brienne's room that was them in the hallway. That's probably... Although, didn't we then figure out it might have just been
3: Jamie approaching her door from the hallway? Yeah,
1: maybe. And then he said, you know, it sounded like it was pretty traumatic, their parting scene. Like, Gwen was crying and, you know, Nikolai was, like, obviously upset. And then at one point, as he was riding off, his horse threw him. And then they just... That that was the last cut they took. Um, So even the horse was upset. He, and he
3: also mentioned that David and Dan were not on set as much. For but this George season. Lucas
1: visited and they happened to be there then. And it sounds like they <laughs> were typically there if they were there in the morning. So, you know, this like 50 plus day night shoot, they, um, for the long night that they hyped up, it sounds like they were like never there for it. <laughs> so, so, yeah, they have, you know, all the hard so work. So everything you already everyone, suspected. Yeah. All the hard work that they did was really nothing at all. Um I wouldn't this- say nothing, but yeah. I mean, is it less than nothing? <laughs> <laughs> All right, what else, Com?
4: We got a comment on Podbean. Um, I believe in Jamie Three there's um you guys had a discussion about women how they're portrayed in film as being more beautiful than you know they may have been in real life. And Bella Swing wrote, I was thinking Annie Oakley. Um so just in reference to that. And
1: although I, I have to say, if I not find... know John Hughes movies. They sure as hell aren't going to know Annie Oakley. <laughs> I don't know.
4: I mean, I'm she too... was like, they made a lot of, there've been movies made of her life. I did find pictures of her though. I don't think she was that unattractive, but um, anyhow, we got a Gmail from uh, Bethany. Who writes, Hello. Um, first some context. I'm relatively new to the Game of Thrones fandom. In fact, the only part of Game of Thrones I've watched is the Jamie Brian Supercut, Some Kind Soul Helpfully Made.
3: Wow. Um, that's that's
4: is that Aaron or yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh no, someone else did another one after Aaron got that? taken down.
4: Um, I dash shipped Jamie and Brienne for years on Tumblr, but didn't care about the show or the books. Then season eight happened and all these amazing gift sets of Jamie and Brienne and Gwen and Nikolai doing interviews appeared on my dash and I got invested. Then I started reading fanfic and then I started reading the books. I'm reading The Clash of Kings now and I'm kind of kicking myself for not reading these books sooner because they're excellent so far. I came across your podcast on Tumblr and I figured I'd check it out when I was done reading the books, but one day I needed a podcast to listen to. So I found myself looking through your chap your episodes. I started out by listening to the podcast covering the Catlin chapters of Game of Thrones since I'd finished that book and was instantly hooked. I may find myself listening to all of your episodes eventually, even though I don't have any plans to watch all eight seasons of Game of Thrones just because I enjoy listening to a bunch of smart people talking and laughing and arguing about characters and stories (laughs) I love. Hmm. When I finished all the podcasts covering the book chapters I read, I figured I could listen to the ones that cover Jamie and Brienne episodes of the show. So today I listened to episode 50, covering episode 2.07 of God, which I noticed just now was coincidentally posted on my birthday, ha, and thoroughly enjoyed it as usual. And then you read the iTunes review at the end, the one where the guy gave you one star and compared you podcasters to a bunch of squawking chickens and said it was all right if you liked ladies with a body sense of humor yelling over each other before they laced up their corsets to go to the Ren Fair. Guys, oh I was God. howling with laughter. What the fuck? Tears are streaming down my face. I know that's an old episode, but I had to immediately <laughs> write an email telling you that I truly enjoy your appreciate your all your hard work and look forward to listening to as many of your episodes as I can. And also that dude seriously miscalculated because that entire episode or a review sounded like reasons I would personally love this podcast. <laughs> Take care and thanks again. Have
1: you guys ever gone oh, to a red Oh, pair? Thank you. I have. I know. I yes. they're
4: they're fun. They're very fun. Did
1: you have the giant <laughs> turkey legs? Because I feel like that's like the th- one thing I'd want to do. <laughs> yeah, hear like about them. Turkey
4: legs are a bust. Yes, I had an apple dumpling. I had a turkey leg. Yeah, I think they had some sort of, they had jousting, but some sort of yes. medieval like sport. It's fun. I mean, they're fun to go to. It's fun to people watch. That's fun. A lot of the people who sell, like, I mean, there's, you know, a range of stuff, and some of it's crap, but then there are like people who really make really beautiful, really cool things.
0: It's pretty pricey. People really get into their costumes, and they will throw some cash down for their costumes.
1: Yeah, I figure like the only way you should cos, the only way you can really afford to cosplay or anything is if you can like make your own stuff, right? Otherwise, I think, it just would get really spendy. I feel like a run fair is
4: something you do every like. I don't think it's something you go to multiple times in the summer or even every year. It's like one of those things you go every once in a while, and it's it's fun. I recommend it. Um, I have never worn a corset though, so that's not going to happen. But um, uh, we also got another email um, from somebody named Dot who says, oh, "Hi everyone, at closed the door." I have a question that's been itching at me for over six months. Oh, I don't know if we're going to remember this. Um, We don't even remember what happened yesterday, but okay. Um, Since the Melisandre episode. God. (laughs) Okay. Abort, Uh, abort. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know about this, but we'll try. Um, Just read it. Okay. Uh, since you're covering this chapter after Jamie gets his hand cut, I thought the question might be relevant again. In the Melisandre episode at the end, you talk about finger bones being used for glamours.
3: Mm. You thought
4: it was a clear reference to Davos, but also said he'd lost his finger bones during the Blackwater Bay battle. Do you think in, it could be instead, or sorry, do you think it could instead be foreshadowing for something involving Jamie, Listening to your Melisandre episode in the chapter rereads, re, re, I wonder if we ever find out what happened to the bones from Jamie's hand. It's been a while yeah. since I read the books.
3: Doesn't so, Roos throw them in a refuse pile when they got to Harrenhal okay, in the last well, chapter? She's, she's basi-
4: basically asking, like, could the hand or finger bones be used for glamour in some other way during the war against the others? I think it would be an amazing narrative turn—the hand that pr- pushed Bran out a window, that led to Bran's third eye opening, having a, war- a role to play in the war against the others. But unfortunately, Roos threw his hand away, so no. So unless someone went through the garbage, it's all it's- <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> if there's any dumpster diving at Harrenhal, maybe. Maybe oh
3: <laughs> I should have fed it to the bear The problem with Heron Hall is I think there are a lot of hands and feet like laying yes, around in true. the garbage, yes. so completely yes. true. For
1: curb alert, like I don't know if you guys ever go on if you guys are next door, but you know, they have like the curb alert for free shit on the curb. <laughs> curb alert. Brand new
4: hands. Hey, we got a bunch of hands. There's one that's pretty fresh. Maybe Oh yeah. I'm begging we can that, please. Uh we had a lot of mail and I think that's everything. Um we do read it all. <laughs> and apologies if I missed anything.
1: All right. Well, all right. ladies and occasional gentlemen, if any any last thoughts on this chapter, anything we we didn't get to the third time, third time around or second third time, time around. around. All right. No, well, I, I think don't. we hit it. With that I emphatic problem. silence, I am closing the door. Get out.